I'd like for you to take your Bibles now and let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 5. Luke, chapter number 5. And we'll begin in verse number 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We may look at it maybe a little differently than you have. I don't think we'll take anything out of context, but I believe we'll maybe look at it differently. And that's the wonderful thing about the Bible. Every time you read it, you'll see something new. And there's nothing new there. It's just God gives you more understanding. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter number 5. We'll begin in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he should thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had, done, when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes that they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and were... Uh, partners with Simon, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, as we stop for just a moment before we get into the scriptures, we ask you to meet with us. Father, every one of us have things going through our, mind, our minds that happened today and what we're thinking about tomorrow. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to set those things aside. And may we be attentive to the Word of God. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, you would help me as I speak. I ask you to empower me. I pray you'd help me to say what you once said, control my lips and my thoughts. I pray that each one of us would be attentive to your Word and we would hear the message, not from me, but from you. Fathers, we prayed in the prayer room, may we leave here different than we were when we came. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this text, we find that Jesus has been in the city of Capernaum. He had just healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's a good way to know that Peter wasn't the first pope. Anybody that has a mother-in-law, not a wife, would be a fool. You've got to laugh when I think they're funny. When the people heard about that, the multitudes came to hear him. By the way, that's why Jesus healed people. Not just because he loved people, but it caused the crowds to come. Same thing when he fed the multitude. I, you know, I have a book out there on the book table on, on um, uh, bus promotions made easy. I believe in the bus ministry. I spent a lot of years in it. And I believe in using bus promotions. I've had people say, no, you can't do that. So what Jesus did. What are you talking about? He raised people from the dead. Top that one next Sunday. See if you yeah. can. Amen. And he fed multitudes with five little fishes and, and, and some bread. You know, two little fish and five pieces of bread. You know, just, he, he did that. Try that. You know. But Jesus did those things and people would come to see the miracles. And then he would preach to them and they would get saved. The Word of God tells us that everyone Jesus laid his hands upon to heal them. Everyone that was sick that came to him, he healed everyone. I like to show that to those fake healers. Why don't you try that? I always wondered, why did Oral Roberts build a hospital? <laughs> He's a faith healer. Fake healer, whatever. And Jesus would still do that today if he were here physically. Um, anyone comes to him, he does heal spiritually. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. The next day, he's walking by the Sea of Gennesaret and and the crowds have gathered and they're pressing upon him. And the, the crowd was so large, he, he needed to do something. And so he, he sees these two little ships, two little boats, fishing vessels at the Sea of Gennesaret, which we would also know as the Lake of Galilee. And the fishermen weren't there. And he turns to the one 
uh, ship, and there was Simon who owned that boat. That's Simon Peter. And he says to Simon, I'm going to borrow your boat. And he gets in the boat. He says, thrust out a little from the land. They'd had all the people sit down on the hillside. And I've not been there, but I've seen pictures of where they believe that took place. And there's a natural sloping hillside down into the, to the river and made a natural, or to the lake, and made a natural amphitheater. And I've preached in those in West Virginia at Mount Salem Revival Grounds. We built this beautiful amphitheater. seat 250 on the side of a mountain. Man, I loved preaching there. Just out on a log pulpit out in front of that. Then they went to build their tabernacle and they bulldozed it. Like, wait a minute, I put all those in there. I cried the day they did that, amen. But here he is. He's sitting in the little boat and he tells Simon, thrust out a little from the land and he teaches from that boat. It became the pulpit. The people listened on the shore. When Jesus finished teaching the multitude, he then turns to Simon Peter and said, okay, now it's time for us to have some personal tutoring. He said, I want you to launch out into the deep. He said, there's a little more that I need to teach you. And as we continue the story, Simon Peter, he does launch out into the deep. He ends up letting down his net. And, uh, and then and so many sh- fishes are caught. We just read it where they almost sank both ships and Jesus used that little fishing vessel to teach some things to, to Peter. And it is amazing. I have another message, not the one I'm preaching tonight, on lessons learned in a boat. Four times you see Jesus in a boat with Jesus or Jesus is close by. And it's amazing how Jesus used that. And I'll just say this, God often repeats things in our lives. He sets a pattern so we know it's Him that's doing it. When Jesus and Peter were around the boat, Peter had to figure out after a little while, I'm about to learn something. Amen. And I've I've kind of picked up on that in my Christian life. There are certain things that God does in my life that gets my attention when I know, okay, God's getting ready to step in and do what I can't do. He's getting ready to change something. He's getting ready to teach me something. Here we find that that Jesus is in this boat with with, with Simon Peter and he tells him they're to thrust out a little from the land. You see, I want you to understand, this little ship was made for a purpose. Think about this little boat. uh, It was made for a purpose. And he was telling Simon Peter, thrust out a little from the land, meaning get back in business. This ship, if you're looking for a title, this, this is it. This ship was made to sail. The ship was not made to sit tied to a dock. It was supposed to be out in the water. For many years, I lived in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I taught uh, Bible college at Marietta Bible College just across the river in Marietta, Ohio. And uh, there was a little ship that was out. There was an old paddle boat uh, called the Becky Thatcher. And it sat on the, right off the Ohio River, went through between the two, and there was a little side river there, the Muskegon River. And this, t- this paddle boat was tied to a dock, preacher, and it hadn't moved in generations <laughs> It had become a restaurant. And uh, in fact, they had built a new bridge. And because of the new bridge they built, you could not have gotten the Becky Thatcher back to the Ohio River. Couldn't get there. Its stacks were too tall. The upper floor would have had to have been ripped off. And I would drive by that thing every day and think, how sad. Here's a little ship, a little paddle boat that was made to go up and down the mighty Ohio River. And here it is parked on the side, tied to a concrete dock, and it's never going to go anywhere. And I have found many times there are Christians just like the Becky Thatcher. They're tied to a dock. They were made to sail for God. And they're tied to the dock of self-will. And no longer doing what God intended them to be. You see, your Christian life, when God saved you, He had a purpose for you. I love reading about about Jeremiah. We talked about this when we were having supper tonight. Where God said about Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God said, I need a preacher. I'm going to make one. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when God had created the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says that when He had finished the garden, He said there was, a, there was not found a man to till the ground, so the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Think about that. God had a garden. He needed somebody to take care of it. He needed a farmer. So what did He do? He made a man to go to work. By the way, that's the basis for my message on uh, the work ethic. In perfection before sin, God made man for a job. Amen? Every one of us in this room, God made us for a purpose. I believe without a doubt, my purpose that God made me for was to be a preacher of the gospel. I didn't understand that until I was 14 years old. 
But that day that I surrendered my life to preach, I knew that's what God had called me to do. And from then, every major life decision has been made based upon that decision, knowing that's what God made me to do. Do you know your purpose in life? Do you know what God made for you to do? In Esther chapter 4, a story we're very familiar with. Let me just read the text for you. Esther 4, 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then, there shall, there, then shall enlargement and deliverance arise from the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This was Mordecai speaking to, to Esther trying to encourage her to go into the king, to stop the king from killing all of, all of the Jews. And, and, and he was saying to her, you've got to do that. She said, well, I would lose my life. And he was saying, if you don't do it, God will deliver his people some other way. But this is why you're here. You see, I, I do believe God's going to get his work done, whether you and I do it or not. He will find a way. Amen. Amen. Yes, if, if this church won't reach this area, he'll raise up another one. That's what he does. We've all seen other churches that were famous pass off the scene and God raise up another one. Why? Because the other one quit doing what they were made to do. This ship was made to sail. Here he says, thrust out a little. Get back in business. Do you understand when God saved you, He bought you? Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy God, uh, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That body is not yours. I love the story told about a, a Christian, a man who had gotten saved, was, was riding a train back when that's how people got around the country, long before airplanes. And he was sitting there at one of these, these uh, on the train where, where the two, Two uh, seats would face each other and a table in between him. And he was sitting there uh, like this and the table's right there. And, and uh, the people across from him, I just hit a bell, uh, and said, uh, uh, you want to play cards with us? He said, I'd love to. So we're going to play poker. He said, okay. And so they, they dealt out the cards and, and, uh, and they went to pick up their hands and he didn't move. And the first person did whatever they do. I don't, I've never played poker, and, and uh, my dad wouldn't let us have cards. And, uh, and so, anyway, he, uh, uh, he, he said, uh, they came to his turn, and he said, okay, it's your turn. And he just sat there, and he said, well, are you going to pick up your cards? He said, I don't have any hands. Oh, we're sorry. We didn't mean to offend you. And so they skipped him, went to the next, played the game without him. I don't know how you do that, but anyway, they did. And, and a few minutes later, he reached over and grabbed a glass of water and took a, glass, a drink out of the glass. They said, wait a minute. You said you didn't have any hands. He said, oh, these are not mine. So what are you talking about? Why well, I'm a Christian. These hands belong to God, and God's hands don't play cards. Where have your hands been? Where have your feet gone? Where's your mind gone? What have your ears listened to? It does belong to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're not our own. We are bought with a price. God bought you. He's got the receipt. He made you for a purpose. Uh, Romans chapter 8, let's turn there. Romans 8, we'll begin in verse number 28. Romans 8. We'll begin there in verse number 28, a familiar verse, but we usually only read that first one, and we don't continue. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And we always read that. Well, everything's going to work out good. Everything's going to work out fine. Well, that's not what that verse says. All things work together. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So I love God. Well, do you obey Him? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You don't keep His commandments. You're telling Him you don't really love Him. You might be fond of Him, but you don't love Him. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. Don't get nervous. That's a good Bible word. Right. Not to be predestined to hell, predestined to heaven. Look at it in context. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, and moreover, whom He did predestinate, them also He called, them he, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? What He's saying is, before God saved us, He knew when we got saved, His plan was for us to be like Jesus. 
It's just like when Prince Charles was born in England, it was already determined he would one day be king. Why? Because he was born as the oldest son. It's, it's, then he's supposed to be king. When we got born as a child of God, the plan, God's purpose, was to be become like His Son. God made us for a purpose, to be like His Son. Let me ask you a question. Are you fulfilling the purpose for which you were created? You know, 1 Samuel chapter number 17, a famous story of David and Goliath. We all know it. And uh, how that David was, was uh, his brothers had gone off to war. He was out taking care of his father's sheep. Do you realize that was after he had been the uh, armor bearer for King Saul? He had gone back home after that. He had already been in Saul's presence. And uh, now he had gone back home. He was taking care of his father's sheep. His father calls him in one day and said, Son, I want you to go check out your sons or your brothers and see how they do. Take these little cheeses to the captains and take a little sack lunch. Go check on them. There was no CNN to watch, you know, the Communist News Network. But there was none of that to go watch. So he had to send a messenger. It was David. David gets there, and it's amazing the story. I wish we had time to talk about it more. But he gets there, and he hears Goliath uh, shouting like he had for 40 days. You know, send me a man to fight. And he's mocking God's people. And so David goes, and he asks the question, what will be done to the man that takes care of this uncircumcised Philistine? He was upset that this man was mocking the people of God and mocking the God of his people. And, and finally he ends up going from one to one and his brother asks him, he says, we know your heart. We know why you're here. You just came to see the battle. No, he was there because he was obedient. Eliab asked him, with whom hast thou left those few sheep? He balked the sheep. Yet in Psalms, God said, that's why I chose him to be king because he took care of sheep. He would know how to take care of Israel. And David finally asked his brothers a question. Is there not a cause? He said, somebody needs to take care of him, the giant. And, and the scripture gives us the idea, it says that he went to the next one and said the same thing. I believe he went from brother to brother. Is there not a cause? Shouldn't somebody take care of him? Finally, the king heard about it, and he goes to the king and said, I'll go take care of him. And he went, and, and that day he was victorious. He brought honor to the name of God and caused the enemies of God to flee. Why? Because he decided there was a purpose for which he was created, and he was going to live up to that purpose. You know what the problem is with David? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, he didn't live up to his purpose. On the day when it was time for the kings to go to war, he stayed at home, sent the army, and he stayed at home, went on a rooftop and saw Bathsheba bathing herself. And he said, who is that? He found out and he called her to him and, and committed adultery with her. They, she became with child. He then planned her husband's murder to try to cover up the sin. And Nathan shows up and says, thou art the man. Why? Because David wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to word it this way, a don't religion is not enough. The way to keep from don'ting is to do so fast you don't have time to don't. Amen? <laughs> Let me say that again. You going to write it down? A don't religion is not enough. The way to keep from don'ting is to do so fast you don't have time to don't. I grew up in the home of an evangelist. Yeah, I hear people talking, my dad made me go to church every Sunday morning. Try being a preacher's kid. Try being an evangelist kid. I mean, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Then my dad in 1968 went back in the ministry as an evangelist. Then we went Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night. Pretty much all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Then we did it again. And I got so rebellious preacher at the age of 14. I said, I'll show dad I'll be a preacher. And that's just the way it's been. Amen. No, it's not because your dad forced you to go to church. It may have been because of his attitude while he was going to church. We loved it. Why? Because dad loved it. Mom loved it. Amen. But I wonder, are you, when we were traveling with dad like that, I didn't have time to get in trouble. I mean, literally, here's the way it worked. My dad worked in a, in a factory at Biff Goodrich. And uh, he was a children's evangelist and never had enough meetings to be full-time. So he always worked a full-time job. And so he'd get off work at 3 o'clock. He lived two and a half miles from the factory. By 3.15, he was home. By 4 o'clock, he'd already had his shower, and we were eating supper. By 5 o'clock or 5.30, we were in a car driving to a meeting. 
And he'd preach that night. We'd come home. Kids, we would all go to bed. Mom would go to work as a nurse, work all night. Dad would sleep, get up the next morning, go off to, to work. Mom would come home. We'd go to school. We'd get off school, come back home. Dad would take a shower. And we'd do it again. People like, well, I'm just too busy. I don't even want to hear it. I'm sorry. I don't have any patience for that. Why? Because I grew up watching a dad sacrifice like that. So how'd that work out? Well, last summer I traveled with dad before I went to Bible college. We did 13 Bible schools in a row. Had 10,000 different children come to the services and over 1,000 walked the aisle for salvation. So last summer I spent with dad before I went to Bible college. That's a pretty good summer. It sure beats the camping we used to do before dad went back into ministry. Because that's what he was made for. What is it you were made to do? Are you like that little boat just tied to a dock, not doing anything? That boat was not made to sit there. It was made to sail. You as a child of God are made to serve Him. That's what God built you for. Find a purpose. Find something that you could do for God. So I don't know what to do. Come ask the pastor. I promise you, he's got a list. (laughs) You need any Sunday school teachers? Need any bus workers? You know, I, I, janitors? Yes, sir. I mean, just a, a list. Preachers, we always have them. People, don't, no, nobody's ever come to me when I was their pastor and said, well, you just never had a job for me because you never asked. <laughs> Amen? There's always something for you to do. You know, our problem is, you know, as American Christians, we get caught up on stuff that don't really matter. We get caught up doing things that take us away from the things that, were, that really are important. Now you're listening to preacher tonight. I'm an independent, fundamental, separated, hellfire and brimstone Baptist preacher. I'm against abortion. Amen. I believe abortion is murder. That's right. Doctors who perform those are murderers. Mm-hmm. The nurses that assist them are accessories to murder. Mm-hmm. The, the people who pay for it, they're funding murder. Yes, sir. Amen. I believe that. It's yes. the taking of a life. But not one place in this Bible does it ever tell me to picket an abortion clinic. Nowhere. Nowhere does it tell me to join up with a Catholic to fight it. That's right. Come on. The purpose is the gospel. That's right. And amazing. We'll get all caught up and we'll spend all of our time doing that. Um, I believe as a believer, we ought to be involved in America in our politics. We ought to vote. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. We ought to vote for the right kind of people. I wish I had time to talk about that. But you realize God didn't call us to that. You can get caught up on anything. You can get caught up on prophecy. I know of a pastor built a great church, pastor for many years, and then he went through some, some, things, some heartache at the church and some difficulties. And every time he'd preach hard, people get mad. And he shifted to do nothing but preaching on prophecy, the second coming of Christ and the tribulation. He taught us all that stuff. You know, It's an amazing thing. Church quit growing. Why? Because we quit doing the main thing. Oh, we ought to do that. We ought to teach on Jesus is coming, but the purpose that, uh, for, of us knowing He's coming soon is so we'll get busy to work for Him yes. so more people will be saved when He comes. Yeah, amen. amen. Come and so it's amazing how often we allow things to get us off of the main purpose. I remember back in the 80s, um, late 70s or 80s, I remember when Ronald Reagan became president. And I remember churches did all these campaigns to have precinct captains in their church to organize a vote. And they let the bus captains go by the wayside. Isn't it amazing? The eight years that Ronald Reagan was president, you know how many times he went to church? None. Not one time. We thought the millennium had come. Well, we got away from our purpose. Our purpose is winning folks to Christ and teaching them what they're supposed to do after they get saved, discipleship, getting them in church. We have abortion protests instead of soul winning programs. We have precinct campaigns instead of soul winning campaigns. Let's just get back to the book. As, As believers, so many times we are tied to the dock doing things that mean nothing about what God has made us to do. The purpose of this church is to reach this area with the gospel. Getting folks saved and then discipling them, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you, Jesus said. Then we send those that we've taught and that we've won out around the world to go to places we can't get to. 
There's, there's only two, two options in missions, go or send. It's only two choices you have. Anything else is out of the will of God. Either you go yourself or you pay for somebody else to go. You help them get there. That's Bible. I remember in 1984, in the the state of Colorado, the two delegates to the Republican National Convention, one was Peter Coors. Everybody's heard of him. Owned Coors Brewery. The other one was an independent Baptist preacher. And they flew together on Coors private plane to go to the National Republican Convention. And I remember thinking, and I knew the preacher, what in the world is a Baptist preacher doing on a brewery owner's airplane? What happened? We tied the ship to the dock. It got busy doing something on shore instead of sailing for God. Now, thank God that preacher then separated from that, went back to what he used to do. Amen. But isn't it amazing how easy it is to get caught up in things that have nothing to do with the purpose for which we were made? It's so easy for a church to get all wrapped up in stuff that may be good in and of themselves, but it's not why this church exists. The missionary I was just with, Brother Jason Russell. He's the most amazing missionary I've ever seen. Um, he goes to... Do you know Brother Russell? Have you? All right. in, in, he's in Western Australia where there are no other independent Baptist missionaries. He's out in the swamps. When he first went up into an area called Weepum, there aren't even any roads. You have to get there by a little bush plane. And, and uh, they, had, they started cutting a road, then they quit. And they never finished it. And there's no electricity there. And there's no government there. And I was with him for 28 days back in the bush nine years ago and when he went out there he took a four-wheel drive tractor and he took a a sawmill and would buy trees cut them down he built a church building he built the pews he built the pulpit he built the communion table uh, built the educational building built his house and then he would use that sawmill this the government would have him go to these different villages and and help build buildings that's what got him in he wasn't there as a builder he got in that way and then preached the gospel to him Well, now he's back on the island of Daru. They don't need to build the buildings, but they don't have water wells. So he bought a well drilling rig. Started a ministry, actually it's a business, called Baptist Drillers. And on the island of Daru, that's two miles by one mile, 20,000 people live there. He's drilled over 20 wells. Everybody on the island loves Brother Russell. Why? Because they have water because he's there. You know what that does? It gives him opportunity to preach. He just bought a boat. When I was there, he had just took possession of it. We took it up into the island, up, up in the rivers, up on the mainland. And he's going into these areas with a drilling rig, setting up drilling wells for these little villages and then preaching. He started nine churches already. Purpose isn't to drill wells. Purpose is to preach the gospel. And we named the ship the gospel ship. Amen. Amen. We, uh, we dedicated it while we were there. Why is he doing all that? It's not about a drilling rig. It's not about a boat. It's not about a sawmill. It's about the gospel. Amen. Good night. That's right. There's so much. It's been a while since they've been a real preaching here. So, <laughs> Sorry, preacher. It went the love offering. But anyway, please come by the book table. I need gas money to get home. I was preaching in southern Ohio. In, uh, in Bethlehem, Ohio, in a little country church. I mean, the building's about this size. I asked them, where's the bathroom? They said, out there. They pointed to an outhouse that was at the edge of the cemetery. It was January. Nobody warned me. But anyway, you just never know when you get to churches what's going to happen. Their church had a marble top for the pulpit. Don't pound on one of those. That's why I put a hymnal there. I beat on that. You don't hurt your hand that way. Amen. Look back at our text. Luke chapter 5, verse number 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. Now think about it. He told him, first of all, thrust out a little from the land. What's that? Okay, quit being tied to the dock. Get out a little bit from the land. Do what a ship's supposed to do. Go back in business. If you're a believer tonight, you've not done anything for God, get involved in something. Be the guy at the door handing out bulletins on Sunday. 
Be the guy that leads singing. Just find something to do for God. Amen. Amen. But then he tells them, after he said, thrust out a little, he said, launch out into the deep. You know, that's where you catch big fish. You don't catch big fish in a creek. You catch them out in the deep. What's he saying? I believe he's saying to us spiritually, attempt some great things for God. Turn to John chapter 14. I want you to see this. John chapter 14. And we'll begin in verse number 12. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Now notice, he, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Notice, he did not say, greater miracles than these shall he do. He did not say, greater wonders than these shall he do. Now the fake healers, they like to take that verse. See, we're supposed to raise the dead. Well, how come there's cemeteries in your town then? Well, it's, you know, they don't have enough faith. Well, what about the guy that their four men brought him to church and they ripped off the roof and let him down and Jesus healed him? And the Bible says he looked up and when he saw their faith, he said to the man sick of the palsy. Wasn't the sick of the palsy's man faith, it was their faith that caused Jesus to heal him. That messes up their doctrine. I mean, just read your Bible, it messes up a lot of theology. But anyway... Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whosoever shall ask, or whatsoever shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That verse used to trouble me, preacher, for many years. I really like, how can I do greater works than Jesus did? Then it hit me one day. Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. I've preached more than ten times that. I've preached for 43 years. I'm not saying my preaching is greater than Jesus. It's not. But I've had greater opportunities. You and I, with today's technology, I mean, if you've got Facebook, you can reach people around the world. I have more Facebook friends from Papua New Guinea than I have in America. It's true. <laughs> Probably says a lot. But anyway, I'm going to leave that alone. But... Uh, I don't understand Facebook. I have a Facebook page. I don't know how to find stuff on it. I just post stuff on it, and whatever happens, happens. Hey, man, I just I don't understand it. My son's the one that handles all that for me. He said, Dad, this is the way it works, and he's explained it to me. And like, right, okay. I consider myself a tech guy, but that thing confuses me. Amen? But we have the ability to record messages. We can print them on paper and give them to people. You carry tracks, right? These are silent missionaries. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've seen saved because they found a track in their door. I mean, in my ministry, no doubt, it's been hundreds. Jesus is saying, you have an opportunity to do something for me. Go to Psalm 107, if you will. Psalm 107. <clears throat> Bridget, what time do we need to, to be done tonight? When you're finished. Okay, that's good. I preach by the calendar. I don't preach by the clock. <laughs> Some of you just got nervous. Psalm 107, look at verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you got in deep water for God. You attempted something that was beyond your ability. That God gave you a thought, He gave you a mission, and you looked at it and said, you can't do that. But you did it anyway. I love what missionary William Carey said. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You know why most of us don't see great things in our lives, that God doing great, amazing things? We've never done anything. We're still tied to a dock. Um, I, I'm real hesitant to give some personal illustrations, but I'm going to. I just don't know how else to explain it. I remember when I was in, in Jacksonville, Florida, I was uh, working in a bus ministry there. I was running a children's church, and I had a bus route and, uh, in Jacksonville. 
And uh, you understand in Jacksonville, Florida, there are over 500 independent Baptist churches. Easiest way to die on a Sunday morning in Jacksonville, Florida is be run over by a Baptist church bus. They're everywhere. On uh, my route on 104th Avenue, there were 13 Baptist churches that had bus routes on that, that area. Uh, our bus director, uh, he, he's now a pastor in Indiana, got the bright idea on, on, uh, on our bus routes. We had five bus routes. He said, let's have a big day and let's see if we can have 500 on five bus routes. So we got to work. And I mean, we got to work. People tell me today, bus ministry doesn't work. Well, it does if you work it. And we started knocking doors. My, my co-captain, with I had a, had a man in the Navy who was working with me. During the Monday through Saturday night, he and I spent 40 hours knocking doors. Every night after work, all day Saturday. And, and we, we, we started assembling our, our list of sign-ups that we had. We'd knock on the door and get folks to commit to come and... And we'd write it down. And, and our big job on Saturday was to go back to everybody who had committed to make sure they were coming. And we quit counting at 225 or 250 commitments. We had knocked on apartment door after apartment door after apartment door. Biggest our route had ever had was somewhere around, I think 70 might have been the record for that bus route. We averaged in the 50s normally. This was in a big city. I mean, Jacksonville was a city of 500,000 people. We got to about 200, 225. We called the pastor and said, we're going to need another bus. They said, we only have one bus for you guys. Like, it's not going to be enough. So with one bus and seven cars, we brought on my bus route 164 people. No matter how you do the math, it's illegal. <laughs> I have pictures on that bus route, preacher. It was a big bus. I think it was a 72 passenger I was standing right next to the driver, and all you could see was faces. I mean, you could even see to the back of the bus. Bus driver quit that day. It was the last time he ever drove. <laughs> Cars were packed. I remember the last stop, the treetop apartments. And uh, we, we, I mean, the bus was jam-packed. The cars were full. And <laughs> I remember I was walking towards the bus, and another independent Baptist church, a good church, pulled in, and they had nobody on their bus. And of course, we were doing a big day, and and uh, everybody was coming to our church that day. And the bus captain had one little kid in his, his hand. He said, hey, you missed one. I said, send him over. <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? He said, all right, you go with them. Because everyone, one of his friends were there, you know. 164. That day on five bus routes, we had uh, over 700 on five bus routes. You know why that happened? We attempted something for God. Now, we didn't just say, we want to have 500 on the bus routes. No, we went to work. We launched out into the deep. We spent hours upon hours. We had teams of people visiting on Sunday morning. We had people in a car an hour ahead of when the bus was going to get there, going from door to door, banging on the doors, waking people up. You want to try that Sunday morning for your church members. You know, just <laughs> an hour before church, bang on the door. You know, those that come for Sunday, Sunday morning, not Sunday morning church, just go an hour earlier. It's, but anyway... It was work. Now some of you are looking at me funny. like, that's, that's a little excessive. You didn't think that when you first got saved. We first got saved. We wanted everybody in our town to get saved. We cleaned out the church track rack. I mean, the, the, after you got saved, the second Sunday, pastor said, what happened to all the tracks? You had taken them all. I remember a teen girl in our church in Parkersburg, West Virginia, when I was teaching the Bible college there. I was assistant pastor in a church, and we had a, little, a teen girl that got saved. And, man, she got on fire for God. We had a little track rack that would hold about 200 tracks. She'd clean it out every service. She'd, she'd call us, you know, Monday or Tuesday night, Preacher, can I get some more tracks? She handed them out to everybody at the high school, to all of her neighbors. When was the last time you attempted something like that for God? The reason... Most of us never see that kind of thing. We're too busy being tied to a dock. Jesus said to Peter, launch out a little. Then he said, launch out into the deep. The problem with most of us, we're content to live in shallow water most of our Christian life. Lester Roloff, how many of you ever heard Brother Roloff preach? What a great man of God. 
Brother Roloff was, a, was an independent Baptist preacher in Texas. He pastored in Corpus Christi. He had homes for, for uh, young people that were caught up in drugs and alcoholism and, and just an amazing man of God. Brother Roloff was known for living by faith. He had this on the words of his auditorium and on the sidewall. I'd rather be a ship that sailed and struck a rock than to be a ship that rusted in dry dock. Which I made a, a statement early on in my ministry, and I meant it when I said it, and I still quote it. I want to have a kind of ministry no one can explain. I want to attempt some things for God that people think I'm crazy for attempting it. But I want to do it because God said do that. And I want to have just enough faith to do that. It's a story told about a man by the name of William Borden. It's a very wealthy family, the Borden family, not the Borden dairy products, but another Borden family, very wealthy in England. And one day, William Borden got saved. And he began to live for the Lord and <clears throat> serve the Lord. And, and, and one day, he felt like God had called him to be a missionary. He was going to go uh, to the Muslims, believe it or not, in China. That's where he was going to go as a missionary. And he, he told his family he was going to do that. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to go. And they said, you can't go. You're on the board of the, uh, of the dairy, uh, of the, the board and products, and you're going you're to be in charge of the company one day. You can't go. And he said to his parents, I have to go. God called me. And this is what his parents said to him. Well, son, why don't you take some of the money that's your inheritance and you could send 10 missionaries? This was his comment to his parents. God did not call my money. God called me. And he did take that money and gave half of it to Moody Bible Institute when Moody was building that back in the late 1800s. And the rest he gave to missionaries. He said, how could I go to the mission field with money and all the other missionaries living by faith and I got the board and fortune behind me. I cannot do that. I must live by faith like they do. And he took the, his Bible and in the flyleaf of his Bible he wrote these two words, no reserves. He said, I'm just going to trust God. Came to the day that it was time for him to leave to go to the mission field. Of course, in those days, they got on a ship and would sail. He got on the ship and the ship was pulling away from the harbor, out of the dock, out of the harbor. And he was standing there watching his family on the, the shore. The captain of the ship came to him and said, Mr. Borden, if you'd like to go back, we have a small ship, we could take you back. He said, oh no, God has called me and I will go. He went down into his room and he took out his Bible again. And right underneath where he'd written no reserves, he wrote the words, no retreat. I'm not going to back up on God. While on that ship, William Borden contracted malaria. He died on the ship. Never made it to the mission field. As he lay there dying in his cabin, they came to him. They said, Mr. Borden, don't you wish you to stay at home? He said, oh no, God called me and I had to go. He said, but you're not going to get to where you said you had to go. He said, that's not important. What's important is God called and I responded in obedience. And he took his Bible and under where he had written no reserves and no retreat, he wrote two more words, no regrets. You know, there have been no doubt hundreds and probably thousands of young people that have read his biography, Borden of Yale, and went to the mission field. I wonder how many people have been reached with the gospel because one man attempted to do something nobody thought he could do. And humanly speaking, he failed, but in the eyes of God, he was successful because he did what God made him to do. Jesus said to Simon, thrust out a little from the land. Get back in business. As a believer tonight, if you're not doing anything for God, find something to do. If you are busy for God, would you, would you allow God to show you some areas where you could launch out into the deep, attempt something big for Him? As a, as a church preacher, you ought, to, you ought to want to do some things that cannot be explained for a church out in the country. It's amazing what God can do with a group of people who just decide we're going to do something for God. I want you to look back in, in your text there in, in Luke chapter number 5. In verse number 
3, we find that Jesus prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, get back in business. Number 5, uh, verse 4, when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, notice the last one, let down your nets for a draught. Now notice Simon's response, verse 5. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have caught nothing. Now you understand what Jesus is doing. He is speaking to a professional fisherman. I think we miss that sometimes with Simon, Peter, and James, and John. These were not casual fishermen. They didn't go out with a cane pole, a string, and a bobber, and a red wiggler. These men for a business, they were small businessmen. They had a shipping business. They would go out and fish and bring nets full of fish. They had ships, multiple. This was a business. They knew what they were doing. They had fished all night. By the way, that was common in those days. It was too hot in the day to fish, so they'd fish at night and bring in their fish in the morning, and, and then they would clean their nets. They'd rest. They'd go back to it again. They had just finished that. They were cleaning their nets. And Jesus said to him, let down your nets, plural, for a draught. And Peter said, we fished all night and caught nothing. Then he said, notice the rest of the verse, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Is that what Jesus commanded? He said, nets, plural. He put down one. What happened? He almost sunk the ship. God put so many fish in that little one. And it said in their, their uh, verse number 6, And when they had, had this done, they had enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And so they came and filled both the ships so that they be, began to sink. They had so many fish, they were about to sink. He said, first of all, thrust out a little, get back in business. Launch out into the deep, get where big things happen. Let down your nets. Let's get back to fishing. Now we relate to that spiritually. We see what Jesus said to him at the end of that. When they get back to shore, he said, verse number 10 at the end, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's telling them the whole purpose of all this is to teach you something, Peter. It's not going to be about fishing boats anymore. It's going to be about fishing for men. You're going to change your occupation to where your whole focus is no longer fish, but souls. Everything we do as a believer and everything we do as a church should be geared towards getting more people the gospel so more people get saved. Luke 19.10 gives the, gives the mission statement for the Lord Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the only reason Jesus came to this earth. He did not come to heal blinded eyes, to, hear, to make deaf ears to hear, mute lips to speak, lame limbs to walk. He came to save sinners. He did all that other stuff to capture their attention so they'd know who He was. But go to John 20. John 20. John 20 is the, the record of, of the resurrection of Christ, or right after the resurrection. is In the first part of the chapter, you have Mary and, and the other Mary go to the tomb. And they see the, the, the angels there. They see the empty tomb. And we see in, in verse number 19, um, well, verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord. 19, uh, the same day at evening. So this is the first Sunday night church service. Of the New Testament era, preacher. And that's when Jesus showed up at church. See what happens when you miss on a Sunday night church? You might miss Jesus. Amen. The disciples were, it says there in verse 19, the same day at evening, the beginning of the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. When he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were his disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And then, verse 21, then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. He gave him a new commission. He said, just like the Father sent me, was said you, I want you to, and then I want you to look at verse number 22, this is an amazing verse. It's one most believers miss. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The disciples were indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the upper room, not Pentecost. 
what happened? He breathed on them. Boy, that reminds me of Genesis. When he formed men out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Without the breath of God, we'll never do what he wants us to do. What's the difference between the disciples prior to chapter 20 and after? The breath of God. That was the difference. We call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. It is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles is what it is. You follow down and Thomas wasn't there. Verse number 24, he said, I won't believe uh, unless I see uh, the print of his nails. Verse 25. And then verse uh, 26, eight days later, Jesus appears to them. And, and Thomas there, and, and, and he calls out Thomas by name. And he says, reach into thy finger, you know that. Look at verse number 28. Or verse 27, we'll read that one. He said that to Thomas, reach into thy finger and behold thy hands. Or behold my hands and reach into thy hand, thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answering and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We haven't seen the, print, the prince of the nails, but we believe. Look at verse number 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Would you like to know what those were? The other miracles? But verse 31 is where I want to get to. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. The reason God records the miracles of Christ is so we would believe Jesus is exactly who He says He is. Amen? Amen. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And that believing we might have life through His name. Jesus said in John 15, 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. It's amazing, preacher. We'll have for every, every man of God that's called to the ministry and after he's been examined, and <clears throat> a group of men will lay their hands on him and we have what we call an ordination service. I remember mine. What a night that was. My home pastor... The preacher was preaching the night I surrendered to preach. He was there. In fact, he was the chairman of the council. Uh, another preacher that was in my home. Two other preachers in my home church were there. My dad was on my ordination council. And uh, that was a challenging night. Amen. <laughs> but I remember that when they laid hands on me. And we, I was set aside for the gospel ministry. We all believe in that. But you understand when Jesus said, You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. He's talking to every believer. And I have ordained you. Every one of you in this room, if you're a child of God, you've been ordained. Not to be a, a preacher behind a pulpit, but you've been ordained or commissioned to go with the gospel. Amen, preacher. You don't amen me. I'll amen myself. I know a good preacher when I hear it. That's good preaching. Amen. Proverbs eleven thirty: The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. What's the opposite of wise? Foolish. I wouldn't want to be a foolish believer. I want to be wise. It means I better get busy soul winning. Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. John Wesley, who we would not agree with all of his doctrine, I understand that. But he did preach the gospel and he made this statement. He said, We have nothing to do but win souls. Ari Tori made this statement after reading Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, what right do you have to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not a soul winner? Let me say that again. What right do you have to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not a soul winner? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have a good preacher friend in North Carolina, uh, Brother Cox. He words it this way. If you ain't fishing, you ain't following. <laughs> it's not good English, but it's good theology. The great missionary Jim Elliott, who, who went to the Aka Indians along the, the, in, in, in South America, made this statement of what worth is Calvary to a man who's never heard. This ship 
was made to sail. Thrust out a little from the land. Get back in business. Launch out into the deep. Attempt something big for God. But most importantly, let down your nets. Make everything you do about the gospel. The reason we have choirs is to give the gospel. The reason we sing hymns is so people will get the gospel. No matter what you're doing, find a way to get them the gospel. I remember the first time I ever went soul winning. Uh, a week, uh, week ago, Sunday night, I was in my home church preaching. And uh, the man who was my youth director when I was a teenager was there. And uh, he's still there. He's 90 years old, still in church every week. I'm a faithful man of God. He's the first guy who ever took me soul winning. I'll never forget the first night he took me out. And I was with the assistant pastor's son, Donnie Swinehart. Donnie was two years older than me. He was 15. I was 13. We go to the first house, and the house we went to was a young man by the name of, uh, I believe his name was Jim, had visited the Sunday before. And as we're walking up to the door, we were going to do a follow-up visit. Donnie said, now Doug, I'm going to get you in the door, and you take over from there. I had never been to a soul winning class. I had never been taught how to give the gospel. I knew nothing about soul winning. Before I could say anything, big old Donnie's banging on the door. Parents opened the door. Hey, how are you? Donnie said, hello, I'm, I'm Donnie Swinehart. This is Doug Brandenburg. We're from the Troy Baptist Temple. We're here to see Jim. Oh, well, good. He's home. Come on in. We come in. They sit us down on the, in the living room. There's a couch and a chair. Donnie sits on the couch. I, or on the chair. I had to sit on the couch. Jim comes in, sits next to me. I'm just sitting there. I don't even know what to do. I'd never been in this situation before. And Donnie says, Jim, we're so glad you came to church last Sunday. Doug here has something he wants to say to you. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> no, I don't. And everybody's looking at me. Parents are standing in the doorway. I didn't know what to do. I reached in my pocket and pulled out one of those old Roman road tracks. Remember those had the shield and the sword on the front? That's what I had in my pocket. And I looked, turned the track over. It's all I knew to do. If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Well, do you? He said, no. Well, let's see what else it says. I opened it up. Who is good? Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. I said, I think that means nobody's perfect. Do you believe that? Yeah. Okay. Next thing. Who is good? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or who has sinned? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means we're all sinners. Do you believe that? Well, yeah. I said, okay, let's see what else it says. Where sin came from? Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all. I'm reading the track. I said, I think that's talking about Adam. It is, but I wasn't sure. I think it's talking about Adam, but it does say if we sin, we die. You believe that? Well, yeah, the Bible says that. Okay, I'd never even opened the Bible. I'm reading the track. All right? And then, uh, then, then it says, um, uh, our way out, Romans 5, uh, 8. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You believe Jesus died for you? Well, yeah. All right, then it says over here in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, right there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, Jim, this says if you'd call on the Lord, He'd save you. You want to do that? Well, yeah, He got down on His knees. I got down there with him. I didn't know what to do, so I read the prayer on the back of the track. Jim got saved. He came to church the next Sunday and got baptized. I remember walking out to the door, or out the door, and back to the car with, with Donnie. And Donnie looked at me and said, But Doug, I've never seen anybody do that soul winning before. Where'd you learn that? I said, Learn nothing. That's the first time I've ever done this. You know what I learned that night? Soul winning is not salesmanship. It's not how much theology I know. If I would just give the gospel, God will bless the gospel. It's the gospel that saves, not the soul winner. I've been to all kinds of soul winning seminars. I've taught them. But preacher, I've never gotten away from that simplicity of giving out the gospel. It's just taking the word of God and showing a sinner that without Jesus we all deserve hell. And that our only hope of heaven is to put our faith in what Jesus has done. Everyone in this room can do that. Are you still tied to the dock? This ship was made to sail. Applying that to this church and brother, your church, your purpose is to get the gospel to this part of the world. And then after they get saved, 
to teach them everything that God taught you, to get them baptized, to get them in church, to teach them the scriptures. It's amazing. We'll get somebody saved and that's the last time we deal with them. It's like having a newborn baby and leaving them on the sidewalk out in front of the hospital. You got to take them home and feed them. I have four kids. I have ten grandkids. I found out one thing. They all like to eat. They'll eat what you feed them. We don't feed them something. The cults will. The world will. You know why the world's not one to Christ right now? Because we're tied to a dock. You know why our churches aren't full? We're tied to a dock. We've not launched out into the deep. We've not let down our nets. You know what the answer for America is? It's good old-fashioned revival of soul winning. Getting people saved and then teaching them the gospel. That means there are going to be people here that go soul winning. There are going to be people here at the church on Sunday morning to man Sunday school classes and nurseries. There are going to have to be people greeting people at the door, welcoming the new people, ushers to help them find a seat, musicians to play the instruments so that we can have a song service. People to deal with sinners when they come forward. Somebody to deal with them during the week when they need help growing spiritually. Amen. Come on. And every one of us in this room that's saved can help somebody else that just got saved how to grow in grace. You know, that's why you keep growing when you've got to teach somebody else. I love personal discipleship. I love sitting down, meeting with people on a weekly basis, helping them grow in the Lord. You know what that is? That's launching out into the deep for God. When I was in my home church last Sunday night, it didn't hit me until a couple minutes after the guy had walked out the door. I stand at the door shaking hands after I'd gotten down to preaching. Young man, uh, a man came to me, big old burly guy, got a big old beard. I wish I could grow one, but I can't. It just doesn't work. There's too much Indian blood in my family. I can't grow what you got there. It, just, it would never happen. I can grow here, and I can grow hair here and in my ears, but I can't grow it here. You know, This big old guy comes to me. He said, but Doug, good to see you again. I'm Tom Sanders. Like, good to see you, Tom. It didn't hit me until he was out the door. Tom Sanders, a guy, led to the Lord when we were both 15 years old. He's been in that church ever since. We're a whole lot more than 15 years old. I have gray hairs older than that now. But man, you talk about being encouraged. Here's somebody that is a teenager. I had the privilege of getting the gospel to on the youth activity. We were doing one of those progressive dinners. You ever do one of those? You go to one house for your, you know, your salads, the next house for one course, and the next house for the next course, and another one for the dessert. It was between the salad and the main course. I led him to the Lord in the back of a bus. Tom's been faithful all these years. I kind of lost track of him. I, I don't get back to my home church very often. I don't live anywhere near it. But I realized, you went people to Christ, that's forever. And who knows how many people he's reached. The way we reach the world, it's the way Jesus said to do it. Going two by two, door to door, witness to everyone we can. This ship was made to sail. As a church, that's our job. As an individual believer, that's your job. That's my job. I don't go soul winning because I'm a preacher. I go soul winning because I'm a Christian. We launch out into the deep for God. We let down our nets trying to get people saved. Then bring them back to the place God intended for converts to come, the church. And we teach them and train them. Tonight, let me ask you, are you tied to a dock? When was the last time you attempted something for God? We're not saved to sit. We're saved to serve. If God was done with you, you'd be in heaven. Tell you one last story. We'll be done. There's a little lady in my home church by the name of Mrs. Hackett. Uh, I don't remember her first name because we were never allowed to call them that. We were not allowed to call adults by their first name. Brother Hackett was a gruff old farmer, but he brought a bag of candy every Sunday to church—a little brown paper bag—and had hard candy wrapped up, you know. And all the kids would line up to see Mr. Candy. They never missed church. Mrs. Hackett taught the five and six-year-old Sunday school class. Every Sunday. I remember when we used to give out those pins for a perfect attendance, then a wreath around it for the second year, then the pins underneath for every year you didn't miss. I remember hers got to 32 years, had never missed a Sunday. Not one Sunday. I mean, when we got a blizzard in 1978. How many of you remember the 1978 blizzard? I lived in southern Ohio, 24 inches of snow, then it dropped to you know, 20 below zero. I remember those days. Pastor canceled church. The roads were closed. My brother and I walked to church. We didn't live that far. 
we get there and the Hackett's were there with their tractor. <laughs> They'd driven it from the farm. They were over knocking on Brother Duff's door next door. Preacher, we have it in church. <laughs> we did. It was them and, and my brother and I. Ms. Hackett never missed. I remember when I was a teenager, I was teaching a Sunday school class of eight and nine-year-old boys right across the hallway from her class in the basement. She'd had a stroke on a, on a Monday, a mild stroke. She was in the hospital all week. It was back in the 70s. It would have been 1976 or 77, probably 77. I remember hearing the story afterwards. I saw what happened on Sunday, but on Saturday, she started getting her clothes on in the hospital room. And they said, what, what are you doing? She said, I'm going home. She said, you can't get home, go home. You had a stroke on Monday. Yeah, but I'm a Sunday school teacher and I teach Sunday school tomorrow. You can't go to church. She said, I'm going. And she did. I watched on Sunday morning as her husband and three other men carried her wheelchair down the stairs in the basement of Troy Baptist Temple. I watched her wheel into that class with her big old worn Bible across the hall from my class of eight, nine-year-old boys, and I watched her teach her Sunday school class seven days after having a stroke. Was that wise? I'm not going to go there. But I know what it did to this young preacher. It's a teenage boy who'd, been, who'd surrendered to preach Watching that lady be that faithful and said, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be the kind of Christian that's in my spot doing what God made me to do for as long as I live. You won't find a retirement party in the Bible for a believer. When God's done, they go to heaven. This ship was made to sail. Today, if you're tied to a dock, thrust out a little. Just get back into something. If you're busy, Launch out into the deep. But no matter which one of those you are, let down your nets. Let's pray. Father, would you help us understand this little boat is a perfect picture of what we're supposed to be as believers. We're supposed to sail for you. Help us not to be content to sit at the dock. Help us not be like that little ship in Marietta, Ohio, the Becky Thatcher that once went up and down the great Ohio River with a paddle wheel turning and passengers everywhere. Now it just sits there. May we be the kind of believer that launches out into the deep, lets down our net for a draw.